Welcome to the Family Crime Cast, where myself and my dad, Hey Rye, give you the inside scoop on some high-profile true crime cases. One of us is an expert, the other is just interested. Let's get into it as, as a, a family. family. Hello. Hello, Mariah. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Welcome back, everybody, to the Family Crime Cast. We took a little hiatus, but we thought the appropriate time to kind of release a new episode and a new season would be Halloween. I mean, (laughs) what's scarier than true crime and murder? (laughs) Yes, that's true. I, I certainly am a big fan of Halloween. I love this fake holiday more than real actual holidays you you do get dressed up every holiday maybe two or three costumes well i don't know about two or three anymore that was more of like a mid-20s actually no that was more of like a college to mid-20s phase now that i'm my 30s i i keep it to one costume (laughs) well that's good and it's not as pre-planned as they used to be but that's just growing up kids that's it that's That's it it. how do you feel about halloween uh I love Halloween. I think it's great. Uh, you know, I like the fact that kids are trick-or-treating. This year might be a little bit different. Yeah, because... what's up with that? I mean, I certainly don't trick-or-treat anymore, but are kids doing it? Kids are still doing it, but this year I think there's going to be a lot of reservations about doing it because of the pandemic. But I think kids will find a way to get out there and get uh, get their candies. Oh, I'm sure they will. And uh, what's scarier than 2020? <laughs> right 2020 is a, been is quite, a nightmare itself it's been the scariest year yet uh certainly the scariest year i've ever lived in so in the spirit of that and in the spirit of halloween we wanted to do something that was pretty much as scary as it gets we wanted to talk about the jersey shore thrill killer richard Baganwald. i want to start with this quote from a book by john o'rourke who wrote, literally the book is called The Jersey Shore Thrill Killer. And this is a line from his, um, for the promo for the book. Beachgoers usually dread riptides and rainy days, but from 1974 to 1983, a different fear gripped the New Jersey Shore. Young women were disappearing. So that is who we're going to be talking about, the thrill killer Richard Bagenwald, which in my opinion, I don't think there's anything scarier than a serial killer face-to-face with a multiple murderer, that is pretty terrifying in itself. Pretty scary. When you have someone who commits multiple murders within your community, it certainly causes everyone to be on edge and also causes everyone to hope that those in charge of law enforcement ultimately catch the killer. Right. So let's talk about Richard Bagenwald as a person. Um, way before he started committing these atrocities. He pretty much has all the makings of being a serial killer. I mean, I don't think there's like a how to make a serial killer kit, but he certainly checks off a couple boxes. He had a very, very awful childhood, uh, which is always so sad to hear about and learn about. Early on in his life, he was often beaten by his alcoholic father. And by the age of five, he tried to burn down his house. So his family or his parents, they sent him to a psychiatric center at the age of five. I mean, 
just that alone is scary is scary and traumatizing mm. for a five-year-old to be sent to a psychiatric facility in the 40s i have to imagine is a pretty terrifying traumatic experience and then by the age of eight Baganwald is a serial drinker and gambler which i can't even wrap my brain around <laughs> like who was he drinking and gambling with is there other eight-year-olds that he's just drinking and gambling with is there some sort of underground gambling ring I'm unsure of where no, children probably, are partaking? Probably older bad people who had, again, no good influences on Richard Baganwall. Yeah. So if that wasn't bad enough as an upbringing, by the age of nine, he undergoes electric shock therapy at New York's Bellevue Hospital. The renowned Bellevue Hospital is giving nine-year-olds electric shock therapy. So again... Don't think he's on the pace to become a model citizen. Um, From then, when he is sent back to live with his mother at age 11, he tries to set himself on fire. So a suicide attempt at the age of 11. I mean, if that that is truly heartbreaking. And I, I know this man is an awful, scary human being, but I just can't imagine what that does to a child. And... Uh, over the next few years after that, he's in and out of trouble. I think he, he finishes eighth grade at 16, which is just so that's, you know, very late to be, uh, finishing that grade. And then he just doesn't make it through high school. He drops out pretty much almost immediately in and out of trouble. At one point he goes to Tennessee, steals a car and is immediately arrested for that. Um, when he's back in Staten Island where he was originally born, And he's at his mom's house. He steals yet another car, drives to Bayonne, New Jersey. And this is where his first murder takes place. So his first murder takes place in 1958, where Baganwall and an accomplice rob a grocery store and they end up killing the clerk at the grocery store. Who was also a part-time city prosecutor. I read that. What? What? He, he was part-time prosecutor, part-time right. convenience back, store clerk? Yeah, back in the back in the 50s and even into the 60s, prosecutors held part-time jobs. So they could have other jobs other than being a, an assistant city prosecutor or even an assistant county prosecutor. So back in the day, that was something that uh, prosecutors did. Okay. So they, there you um, have it. unfortunately for... Uh, Steven Sladowski, wrong place, wrong time. He is unfortunately killed. Baganwald flees, ends up in Maryland. He ends up shooting a police officer in Maryland. I don't, I don't see that a police officer was killed, but he ends up shooting a police officer in Maryland and is apprehended there. Extradited back to New Jersey, where he is sentenced to life in prison for murder. So here's my question. In, 17 years later he is let out on good behavior after serving a life sentence. So what, wh- huh? Like serving a life sentence yet let out in 17 years? That really confuses me. Right, so in 1975, he was released from prison after serving 17 years. In those uh, times, the sentencing guidelines provided that a life imprisonment sentence had no mandatory minimum time. So you could be eligible for parole after uh, probably 17, 18 years, 
and if you had good behavior, all of those credits would be counted and you could get out. So life imprisonment back in the 1970s meant maybe less than 20 years. Well, uh, scary because <laughs> this guy uh, turned out to be not so great. Pretty early on after he's let out, he is accused of rape in New York. And um, he doesn't get charged with it because there wasn't sufficient evidence to charge him with rape. So he's let off. He also avoids uh, meeting up with his parole officer. I'm not sure like why they were still like, he seems fine to be out in the world. All right, so he's let off. And around this time, he gets married. And he also befriends someone named Darren Fitzgerald, who becomes a, an accomplice of his in some in some aspect. What do you know about Darren Fitzgerald, Dad? Well, Darren Fitzgerald and Richard Bagenwald became friends during a period of time when they were both incarcerated together. Um, ultimately, great they, place to make friends. Yes, uh, that's sometimes that's where certain types of relationships and partnerships are made. Unfortunately. But Darren Fitzgerald and Richard Bagenwall moved to the Asbury Park area and lived together in a sort of boarding house. Like a halfway house or something? No, it was a boarding house, mm-hmm. which, which had rooms where each one rented. So Bagenwall was there renting a room with his wife, and Fitzgerald was in a, another room renting it. But they were in partnership together to commit crimes. There's no doubt about it. Fitzgerald had a background in weapons, and obviously Bagenwall had a background in murder. So let's get into the first murder he commits when he's out, which takes place on the night of October 31st, 1981. Halloween. It is Halloween. Halloween night, 17-year-old Maria Chayella goes out to spend Halloween with friends. Um, she asks her dad for some money around 6.30, says, I'll be back around midnight. She is then seen around midnight walking on Route 88, presumably home in Brick Township. She's actually spotted by a police officer. He's on his way to answer a call, makes a mental note of it, and says, when I'm on my way back, I'll pick her up, give her a ride home. He said it couldn't be more than 10 minutes from the time he answered the call to when he was on his way back, and she vanishes in the night. Not to be heard from. Not to be heard from. She gone. So um, that's Maria Chayala. Then there's a Virginia Clayton who was abducted in in September of 1982, so almost a year later. And her body was discovered pretty soon after, but presumably they have no connection. They don't know who did it. And then in April of 1982, 17-year-old Deborah Osborne, she disappears from a Point Pleasant, New Jersey bar, vanishes. Um, no one has heard from her. No one knows where she is. In August of that same year, 1982, Anna Alesowitz is lured away from the Asbury Park boardwalk and she is not seen. Not heard from again. So that November, 17-year-old Betsy Bacon from Seagirt goes out to buy a pack of cigarettes in Spring Lake Heights around 11 p.m., and she is also not seen again. So, so how many girls are there now? That's five girls that's five that go, girls. goes missing. So during this time, like, was there any public concern? Well, uh, at the time, I would say that there was concern by the fact that Each one of these five girls has gone missing, but there was not a concern 
that they were connected to one another. Most of the police departments at the time viewed them as individual cases where either someone ran away, someone was involved in some other type of maybe bad behavior, uh, but didn't associate whatsoever that these missing girls might be connected to one serial killer. And I think that's a problem that happened back in the day is that like since these happened in all different towns, right? I mean, they're not towns far away from each other, but they're all different towns. They're all different towns with different, you know, operating police departments. So it's not like they're calling each other up once they have a 17-year-old girl missing and then connecting the dots in that way. No, not, not at all. And exactly right. Each individual department treated it as an individual case. Mm-hmm. And therefore, until much later... Mm-hmm when we found out that they were connected, then sort of the light bulb went off that people began looking at individual cases and trying to find connections. Right. So it isn't until Anna Alesowitz, that 17-year-old girl who was on the Asbury Park boardwalk, her body is found a couple months later, November of that same year, 1982, in the back of a Burger King. So what was the thought there or or what was happening when that was discovered? Well, you know, in our office at the time, we had what was known as a cold case unit. And each assistant prosecutor had cases assigned to them. And so once her body was discovered, then obviously the individuals who had worked that cold case were brought in to see what if any information they had that could be linked to her murder. Because it was very early on, it was discovered that she, in fact, was murdered because her remains indicated that she was a victim of gunshot wounds to the head. And so the people assigned to the case at the time were uh, James Fagan, an assistant prosecutor in our office, and Bill Lucia, a detective in the homicide unit. So they began to work the case to find out what if any connections that they could find Mm -hmm. that would connect the person responsible for her death. Okay, so Anna Olesowitz is the first victim, presumably, of Richard Baganwald that is discovered. When do things start to come together to, one, not only suspect Baganwald is in on it, but also to find out that all of these are connected? Well, again, they began to run down individual suspects as a process of elimination. But like most cases, uh, sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And in this case, a friend of Baganwald's wife contacted authorities. When I say contacted authorities, it was sort of through this person told this person and this person told this person, and ultimately it got to police Sounds, she, sounds like New Jersey to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, but the, I mean, to their credit, they began to piece this together and found out that uh, this individual named Teresa Smith had credible evidence that connected an individual named Richard Baganwald with bodies of young girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that started it. And then detectives kicked into high gear mm-hmm. and began doing research on Baganwald, found out he was a really bad guy. Yeah. So 
ultimately, the detectives gathered sufficient evidence to gather a search warrant and ultimately executed a search warrant on his apartment. And in his apartment, they found weapons. They found uh, Rufinol, which was a date rape drug. They found uh, drugs. And they also found a poisonous snake, uh, a viper, I believe. Right. I'm which like... just adds another scary dynamic to this whole case. That right. You go and execute a search warrant and find a poisonous snake. It's not snake. enough that the serial killer had weapons, but he also had a poisonous snake. And they also had information that Darren Fitzgerald also had an apartment. And ultimately, Darren Fitzgerald was found hiding with a gun in his hand. So not only was the fact that they were dealing with Richard Bagwell as a serial killer, but they also now had arrested Darren Fitzgerald for weapons offenses, which later proved to be quite significant in the case. Okay, so they have Bagenwald now. They have arrested him. They've arrested Darren Fitzgerald. Now, obviously, these two, as you mentioned, were career criminal buddies. They committed crimes together. What information was Darren Fitzgerald able to provide? Obviously, he knew what Bagenwald was up to, not only with you know, his criminal activities, but also with the people that he murdered. So early on in the case, uh, Fitzgerald decided to sing. And he knew that he was facing probably significant time. So like most criminals, if he has information, he wants to trade that information for a lighter sentence. Mm -hmm. So Darren Fitzgerald then began to cooperate with detectives in the case. And he takes them to... Staten Island, the home of Richard Baganwall's mother. And he tells authorities that he helped dispose of bodies in the basement of Richard Baganwall's mother's home. And when they go to Staten Island, the detectives, Jimmy Fagan, the prosecutor, Al Lair, they find two bodies buried in the basement, bodies that have been dismembered and bodies that they ultimately identify as two of the girls who have gone missing. So the bodies that they found was 17-year-old Maria Chayella. She was the one who was out walking on Halloween night. And then they also find the body of Deborah Osborne. She was the one who went out in Point Pleasant to grab cigarettes and never returned. That's correct. So it is now discovered that these victims were victims of Richard Bagenwald. That's correct. And Fitzgerald provides information that, in fact, Bagenwald killed both of those individuals and transported their bodies from the Jersey Shore and hid them on Staten Island. In his mother's basement. In his mother's basement. I don't know about you, but in my mom's basement, I just have gifts from my wedding registry I haven't been able to use because my apartment is super tiny. No dead bodies, just some pots and pans. So you can just imagine, Mariah, two bodies found in the basement of a woman's home in Staten Island. What sort of media circus? Well, not only that, what was his mom like? Was his mom just like, oh, right, Richard said he was dropping something off. Well, matter of fact, she gave several interviews 
to the Daily News and the New York Post, uh, indicating that, you know, Richard may have been a very bad boy, but I'm still going to stand behind him, which, again, caused a media stir if a serial killer's now mother is standing behind him. Uh, but, again, now, Bagenwall was identified as this gruesome serial killer. Yeah, I mean, in general, Richard Bagenwald, when you see photos of him, is he, is he a big guy? Yeah, he, he was looked a big like guy. a pretty big, tall, tall guy. He was a big guy, but he he definitely was a scary guy, right? Uh, scary looking, and you know, obviously a very evil person. Right, right, and and we'll get into more of this when we talk about the trial. But Darren Fitzgerald, like, it seemed like the defense most likely was going to try to use him to say, hey, like, Bagenwald didn't didn't do this. Did you have any doubt that it was uh, both of them or Darren, or did you fully believe that it was well, 100%? Well, definitely you knew that Darren Fitzgerald was up to his elbows in what was happening, that he was helping Bagenwald dispose of bodies. So he was hindering his apprehension. Uh and but the significant information that he provided sort of provided almost uncontroverted evidence that Bagenwall was this serial killer. And when young girls were going missing, you always tried to see a reason why they went missing. What was the motive in the case? And Fitzgerald provided to the authorities the fact that Bagenwald really didn't have a motive. Mm-hmm. He really just wanted to see people die. Right. And that's where he got the name, the thrill killer, because Prosecutor Lair gave a press conference where he indicated that these young girls died for no reason at all. They were senseless killings done by someone who just wanted to see them die that he was just a thrill killer and that's Killing for the thrill right and that's how i kind of can't think of name. anything creepier i mean it, it didn't seem like he assaulted these women really it did there was no real evidence that you know he he was i mean who's going to steal from a 17 year old what are they going to have on them uh so like the motive then was that he just wanted to kill to kill and that is like the creepiest creepiest motive of them all right it 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 is terrifying what what it is is that you can just be in the wrong place at the wrong time and for no reason at all you can end up dead and you know these young girls were all 17 in the 17 years of age range right and i can't imagine i mean being 17 yeah, I mean, as a woman in general, you always kind of have this fear of just, you know, maybe being taken or maybe being, you know, murdered. I mean, so I certainly do. I certainly think every day I'm going to be murdered. But that's just... <laughs> I, I, every day? That's just because every day I read up on murders. Uh, but And also, I think just as a woman in general, you do have this heightened fear because women are so commonly killed. And, uh, but, I, but I will say as a 17-year-old girl... 
that wasn't necessarily on the top of my mind and that wasn't necessarily the next thing I thought was going to happen to me after especially after spending time at the Asbury Park boardwalk or spending time uh you know out on Halloween I wasn't thinking that I would be face to face with a serial killer and and you know that's I think the saddest part of this case is that when you're that age and there there's almost like this the possibilities for you are endless and and you have so much life to live ahead of you and then for this man to come in and just you know end that like that it's 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 pretty pretty petrifying and you know it was a different time back then you know you still engaged in things like hitchhiking and became engaged with people that you really didn't know. I mean, the was... 70s and 80s were just a crazy time. <laughs> like, it seemed like everybody was hitchhiking. Everybody was running away. Everybody was non-acid or something. Like, what well, was the deal? I don't know deal? if there were all of that, but they, it, was a, it was a less concerning time. You weren't concerned right. as about as many things, all right? When you were 17, you were 17 and you know, having a good time. Mm -hmm. And you weren't concerned about the fact that someone may be out there lurking around to try to kill you. And so that played into this, because these were, you were right, these are all young, innocent girls mm -hmm. who were taken, you know, in the very early stages of their life and killed by Richard Bagelwald. So he didn't only kill these women. I mean, of course, you know, this is kind of, I feel like he's more known for killing the thrill killer, for killing these 17-year-olds. Um, but he also did kill, I think, like two men, right? Yes. He was convicted of one, mm -hmm. William Ward, who was a drug dealer, by shooting him several times in the head mm -hmm. and then dumping his body, I believe, in Neptune City, again, pretty close to Asbury Park. Mm -hmm. And he's also was suspected, although I don't believe ever convicted, of uh, a John Patrone, who was an informant, mm -hmm. who also met Baganwall while they were incarcerated together. And there was some bad blood between them uh, because of some incident involving his mother, and uh, he ended up killing him as well. And ironically, the body of Virginia Clayton... Mm -hmm was found less than three miles from where the body of John Patron was found. So that's how we sort of connected Virginia Clayton to Richard Bagamore. So even though he ultimately is convicted and charged with five murders, there's potentially, what, seven total victims? Maybe more? Yeah, maybe more. Maybe as many as ten wow. suspected. And quite frankly, there could have been many more. Mm. So, Baganwald is arrested, he's charged with at least five murders, and now it's set to go to trial. So let's get into the trial a little bit. Um, what are some key things that you remember from that? Well, first of all, I was a brand new assistant prosecutor, probably just a couple of months on the job as assistant prosecutor, and it was a very, very notorious and infamous case, even at the time frame. So there was a great deal of media attention. There was a lot of motions to try to move it out of Monmouth County. Ultimately, all those motions were denied, and the trial began in Monmouth County, um, I believe in 1983, November maybe of 1983. 
And the person who first was involved in the investigation, Jimmy Fagan, who was an excellent trial attorney, was assigned to handle the case. And he began to try the case, put it together, involving several witnesses. Obviously, the key witness in the case was Darren Fitzgerald. And Fitzgerald, you know, had his own baggage because he was a career criminal. Uh, but his testimony, and that of the testimony of Teresa Smith, as well as some of the physical evidence that connected Baganwall to the murder of Anna Lesowitz. That's the first case that was tried. It was the death of Anna Lesowitz. And I can remember as a young assistant prosecutor, uh, sitting in watching parts of the trial, to really have a firm belief that when Baganwall would enter the courtroom, you were in the presence of evil. Uh, I think that was something that'll always stick with me. You know, I've met a lot of bad people and prosecuted a lot of bad people, but I still to this day think Richard Baganwald was pure evil. All right, so Baganwald is going to trial for the murder of Anna Lesowitz. That's correct, in probably November of 1983. Okay, so I think we should wrap the episode up there because next week we're actually going to have a special guest on, the trial prosecutor, Jimmy Fagan. He's going to come on and chat with us about all the nitty-gritty details of what it was like bringing this monster to justice. Yes, and uh, that'll be an exciting episode because Jimmy's quite a experienced trial attorney and obviously did a fantastic job on the Richard Baganwall case. All right, so stay tuned till next week. All right. Love you, Ryan. Love you too, Dad. <laughs>